3: All right, live from CNBC's global headquarters, this is Fast Money. I'm Dominic Chu, in for Melissa Lee today. And tonight's trader lineup, as you can see here, we've got Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, Karen Feinerman, and Brian Kelly. They will join us in moments here. Coming up on the show, the boycott is growing. More big-name companies pulling their ads from Facebook. Just ahead, you'll hear from one top-ranked analyst who says the street is getting it all wrong when it comes to the full financial fallout for Facebook. Plus, Tesla speeding off to, yes, another record high today. What the company said about demand that sent shares into overdrive or ludicrous speed. And then later on, break out the sparklers. We're ushering in the 4th of July with some all American stock picks for your portfolio. But we will start with 4.8 million reasons to rally. That's because that's how many jobs. America created for the economy last month, blowing away economist expectations. Wall Street rallied on the report with the S&P 500, as you can see there, finishing the day up about a half a percent. But something interesting happened in the market today that we don't often see. We had stocks up, bonds up, the U.S. dollar up, gold up. So, Tim, what's up with today's market action?
1: Well, and the the ever wise BK noted that on our production call. But I'll I'll talk about uh, what stocks need to move higher, which is that the macro, uh, again, it's not necessarily something to do cartwheels in in absolute terms, but in relative terms to where we were, we've taken back one third of the jobs that were lost. We had a great manufacturing ISM this week. We had PMIs around the world that were better this week. We had housing starts numbers that were better. Uh, Bonds should be uh, ultimately, in a case, slightly selling off here, except for the fact that you do have a Federal Reserve that is still your friend and talk to you this week about where they're actually buying high-grade debt, like Apple and some of the other uh, biggest corporations in the world. So it's putting a squeeze into risk assets. And I think, frankly, people are buying bonds, too. Asset allocation right now is in high gear. The fact that the dollar's rallying, I think that's a byproduct of better economic conditions. Largely, the dollar's been under pressure. Gold, I'll let the experts speak on that, even though uh, it's a case where I think you can make an argument that gold should be selling off. There are reasons why portfolio allocators would be into gold. But uh, the macro was very strong this week. The market responded and equities responded. The VIX near its 200-day for the first time since February.
3: So, so Karen, I'll, I'll turn to you here, you here for this. I, we look at the economic data today on jobs. A lot of folks are focusing a little bit more on the jobless claims data than they have been on the monthly jobs report. The claims data is arguably higher frequency. It's more current. It's up to speed. Is there anything about the jobs picture today between weekly claims And the non-farm payrolls report, that is anything but bullish.
4: Well, you bring up a good point. I don't know what to make of it. That one was, you know, the the headline jobs number was great. Although with a lot of uh, cities and states sort of reversing openings, it makes me wonder if we're going to see a reversal of that data. So I and that data has been really off the mark of what the surveys have been expecting because nobody really knows how to gauge it. So it's a positive number for sure, and that is good, but we, you know, there's some tempering with some of the, uh, the uptick in cases. That's obviously a headline, a bad thing. But, but Tim picked up one thing that I think is really important, which is the VIX coming down a lot. So when we had that, uh, that terrible day early June and the VIX was north of 40, it 's now twenty seven and that's sort of getting close to the bottom, which actually of anything that coming the viX coming in makes me more concerned about the market that we 've rallied as far as we 're going to in the short term
3: so so uh, Steve Grasso, as we, you take a look at the price action as it developed today, I mean we started off pre market and right off the bat in the morning with a four hundred and sixty nine point gain in the Dow and we've kind of sought. Maybe not, Peter out's the wrong way to put it, but it did lose momentum throughout the course of the day heading into a long weekend. Is there anything about that type of action that makes you maybe a little concerned about what's in store next week?
5: You know, Dom, as a trader, we're all concerned all the time, but I think this market comes down to a, a few different aspects. It's about the virus, obviously, it's about the Fed, and then it's about the recovery. If all those things sort of play, obviously the, the virus has been uh, in an upswing, but I don't think the deaths are out of hand yet. So I think that's the critical, critical point. If the economy continues to reopen on track and the, the jobs numbers that you started off with were adequate, were actually great uh, considering what the estimates were, then this market can continue higher. Obviously, to Karen's point, there's a lot of stuff that's front loaded. But we also have the Fed, as Tim mentioned, that's bridging the gap from now to when the economy really substantively opens back up. So we've gone from aiding the consumer and now we're going to start in the next tranche aiding the corporations so that they don't have to fire and they continue to hire. So I'm not alarmed. I'm positive. But to Karen's point, there's only so far you can go. And that's
3: we probably need a vaccine to break through old highs. So, Tim, if we need a vaccine, what's left to do for people in the marketplace right now? Do you just sit there and do nothing and wait for a vaccine? Or is this something where you say maybe the path of least resistance is a low volume grind higher over the next several months?
1: Well, Dom, definitely not a market for complacency. I think one of the things investors need to do is they need to get ready for earnings season. Uh, You know, banks are a couple weeks away uh, from from giving you some sense on where credit is, where they were. Remember, first quarter, obviously, uh, very conservative on those loan loss provisions. So I think we need fundamentals. I think we need bottom up as much as this was a week about macro. Um, but But. With the sense that the Fed is backstopping, and with the sense that there is more testing and that the numbers may be uh, more discernible than they were out of the gates, I think there's still a lot of uncertainty as to the scope uh, of of mortality uh, vis-a-vis the number of cases, who's being tested. Um, but but look. Uh, I, it's very difficult to argue with the liquidity that's in these markets. And when, when volatility, uh, I hear what Karen's saying and Steve is echoing that, um, hard to argue with that except for the fact that you, you are at levels on the VIX where it does also tell you that the market at least has gained back some level of comfort, that there is a backstop underneath assets. And I think there's a lot of folks that are still on the sidelines, especially in the retail community. Despite all the bullishness we talk about with a segment, um, there's a lot of folks that have been very bearish here. I think the, the grind higher can still happen.
3: So, so Karen, let's kind of cap off this conversation for the time being with some of your thoughts on this. As you look at investing, the stocks that you're looking at, the assets that you're looking at, how much of this is predicated on this idea that there isn't uncertainty? It was just two or three months ago. We had talked all up and down financial media about the fact that you couldn't look at the earnings numbers with any kind of clarity whatsoever because nobody knew what was going to happen. It was like the least consequential earnings report we've seen in years. What exactly does that mean? Why do corporate fundamentals matter again or do they?
4: I think they do. I mean, Tim talked about banks. To me, it's very important to see what kind of loan loss provisions the banks are going to take because the banks have really a great look into the economy, right? They touch so many borrowers, they touch so many businesses, consumers, industrial, commercial real estate, so many parts of the economy. So what they're seeing is really important to me. For a sort of, for a a retailer that's in a tough time, what they do the, the next quarter is not so important to me as whether they can survive this overall pandemic. That's more important. So of all of the companies that are reporting earnings, to me, the banks will give us the most information.
3: All right. So a watchful eye on the banks there for sure. Let's talk a little bit more about today's market action and find out where we are headed next as much as we can. Joining us now is Victoria Fernandez, chief market strategist at Crossmark Global Investments. Victoria, always great to get your thoughts. Thanks for joining us today. What did you make of the price action today? Is it to be believed longer term?
6: Well, as Karen was mentioning, earlier we had a great jobs number that came out however I think the initial reaction from the markets we were up about 400 points I think on the Dow so coming back from that throughout the day I think is basically the result of people realizing that yes we had a strong number but the data was coming in through about the middle of June we know that a lot of the shutdowns that started happening like here in my home state of Texas in California in Florida all of that was happening over the last couple of weeks so I think people started to look forward to next month payroll number and realize that we're probably not going to have as strong as a number as we did now. We need to look more at those weekly claims numbers. That's what we've been doing over the last couple months. That's going to give us a clearer um, look at exactly where we are right now and give you more immediate data going forward. I think that's why we saw the markets come back, but it was a positive, strong number. So the markets ended in the green.
3: So, so as, as you look at this from a, a market strategy standpoint, Victoria, th- this notion that we are seeing perhaps a couple, one or two steps backwards, so to speak, right? Economies are maybe looking at, again, shutting certain things down. Certainly indoor dining is in focus. How much of a concern and what parts of the country really matter when it comes to your strategy about the economy in the U.S. maybe taking another step back?
6: Well, you know, if you look at the four states that have really gotten the most attention over the last couple weeks and having to reverse some of their shutdowns, California, Texas, Arizona, Florida, those states I mentioned a moment ago, they make up about 30% of the U.S. GDP. Then flip and look at some of the states that are just now starting to open or they're in phase two of opening, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Massachusetts, these types of states, they're about 15% of U.S. GDP. So our concern is, as we've had some of these Southern states really start to reverse their opening plans, we're gonna have to have positive numbers more than double what we're seeing in these other states in order to make up the difference. And our concern is that you've got consumers who are gonna be self-quarantining again, and some of that savings that they had built up that we anticipated would immediately be put to work Once states began to open may not happen there may be more concern that the economy is not going to open as quickly as anticipated and some of those savings are going to stay and we're not going to get the consumption that we need retail sales at 18 percent last month that was a huge number for the market we need to see something like that again and i'm not sure we're going to get that so when you look at your portfolio i think you have to look longer term trends 5G, cloud, data infrastructure, all those areas we've talked about before, that because of COVID-19, we anticipate we're going to have a longer um run after COVID is over and there's still going to be popular areas that are going to be built into. Those are areas we think you should focus on for long term.
1: Hey Victoria, it's Tim. Uh stay safe down there and and certainly wish you all well in in Houston. You talked about some of the the cloud plays and the high-tech plays. The Nasdaqs outperformed the S&P by 21%. Uh, At what point do you think uh, either a barbell trade or or do you stay in mega-cap tech? As much as we feel comfortable with those names, it seems like we're also fearful that they are dominating this rally.
6: Well, and I think you're right, Jen. They have dominated this rally for sure. However, I think they're the strong names that are going to continue to do well going forward. So do you buy them at all-time highs? No, not necessarily. We're not saying jump in with both feet at this point in time and some of these names that might be stretched. But those are going to be your great buying opportunities whenever we have some pullbacks. We've been buying pieces of these names over the last couple months. This week, I can tell you, we actually did smaller Shifts. I think you can look at some of the things that you're seeing on a smaller scale. We actually trimmed our young position because we know restaurants are going to have a really difficult time uh, going forward especially as they're reducing now like here in texas the number of people that can be in the restaurants from where we were a couple of weeks ago and actually went into jp morgan into financials that's been hit really hard all the banks have and we think that they're going to be stronger going forward so there can be some opportunistic trades in there but longer term we still like those big tech names
3: all right victoria just a few moments left here we're going to ask you to put on your reporter hat we're going to ask you to act like one of us all right Tell us about what exactly your view is about what's happening right now. You are in Houston, Texas. It is a hot spot right now for COVID-19. What is it that you're seeing about perhaps the commerce, the retail, the activity, the economic situation around Houston? Just from a layperson's perspective, has it changed a lot in Houston over the last couple of weeks?
6: I will say when we first started opening up about a month ago, everyone was uh, running errands they were out in restaurants they were out in the bars and very few people were wearing masks because it was not an issue for us uh, to the same extent that it was up in the Northeast however over the last week or so as things have started to shut down if you go outside there's fewer people everyone is wearing a mask the concern has actually grown over the last ten days I would say and I think that means we're gonna see positive results in the next two to three weeks in Texas and other states like us
3: all right we should also mentioned right now that Texas Governor Abbott has now put a mask mandate in place for certain counties that have at least 20 confirmed cases of the COVID virus. So we're watching those developments in Texas very closely. Thank you very much, Victoria Fernandez at Crossmark for joining us. Always appreciate your thoughts. My pleasure. All right. Well, BK is now with us, but he's on the phone. BK, I know that you've been kind of paying attention to this conversation. What exactly are your thoughts now, given the market positioning, knowing what we know about the eco data and COVID-19 right now? Uh,
7: well, uh, yeah, I'll tell you what, I, I'm glad Victoria was speaking about 5G and infrastructure because it appears I can get Howard Stern in the middle of the <laughs> desert on satellite radio, but I can't get an internet to work. So I don't think it's user error. I think it's infrastructure. Um, but when it, when it comes to the market, you know, we've had this tug of war between, can you get enough fiscal and monetary stimulus to get the economy to a point Uh, get us through this valley where you're going to have a vaccine or some therapeutics and covid becomes less of an issue Uh, that's what's driven this rally when you saw what the market did today you had almost every asset class up bonds up stocks up gold up dollar up that's a pretty unusual setup and i think what the market's telling you is We're going to get more stimulus. The president talked about it today. Some of his advisors talked about it today. They're going into an election year. I think the election is going to be won by the person who gives people the most money. So that's the bull case for stocks. Now, the bearish case, we all know. Victoria just talked about it. The economy is completely shut down. Um, So you know,
3: until proven otherwise, I think you have to ride with the stimulus. All right. Ride with the stimulus for sure. All the developments in Washington. Very key. All right. Thank you very much. We'll get back to you shortly. BK, we are just getting started here on Fast Money. Coming up next, Tesla racing to new all time highs. And just wait until you hear what Elon Musk is saying about that record run for the stock. And then later on, we're gearing up for the 4th of July with some all American stock picks Four names that could add some serious pop to your portfolio. Stick with us. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Elon Musk is back at it. This time, the Tesla CEO tweeting today, quote, Tesla will make fabulous short shorts in radiant red satin with gold trim. Read of that what you will. The also system went on to say we'll send some to the short seller enrichment commission to comfort them through these difficult times. The SEC and C written all in caps. All right. This comes as Tesla shares drove to another all-time high on stronger-than-expected delivery numbers. Steve Grasso, your take on all of this, it's, I mean, I (laughs) want to talk about things like standard deviations and Bollinger Bands and RSIs and MACDs. No matter what you're looking at, it's been a massive run to the upside.
5: It's, so I'm I'm looking at this as well as you started the intro. It's definitely overbought. It's a 76 RSI right now. But the problem, Dom, is that, this stock works off overbought like no other stock I've ever seen. So it doesn't come in hard anymore. The problem, though, is that this extension above the 50-day, the 50-day is 881. So whenever it gets extended above a moving average, this far, it usually does come in, but that has nothing to do with the relative strength index. it's, It's by proxy that it's overbought. So for me, it's up 188% year-to-date this fits into the tech category so the ETF for technology is up 15 percent year-to-date ETF for energy is down 36 percent ETF for industrials down 15 percent this fits into tech everyone bet against this one and trips over themselves to have to cover it I thought it's been overextended since 800 so at this point I do think it's it's due for a pullback but it continues to shock the
3: entire investment community tim seymour I, I wonder do you then traffic or trade in tesla based upon quote unquote fundamentals
1: no i don't, I don't think fundamentals matter in the stock I, I haven't trafficked in the stock for 800 dollars or so and i'm happy about that um you know you talked about the short interest or elon musk tweeted about that which i didn't know he was supposed to be doing but Um, Short interest has gone from 24.7% in May of 2019 to to inside of 8%. Um, So that's part of this move. I mean, shorts have been squeezed massively. Um, The company is trying to become... Uh, u.s gap profitable for four quarters straight which will get it into the s p and you know that will maybe be another stampede but um, again remember this is a company that effectively lost money last quarter if not for selling EV credits um... yes deliveries were better today although again we're rewarding them for less bad deliveries and acting as if um COVID's not there and it's not a headwind but there was major price cuts across the model x so um, the most profitable cars they have are the ones they're cutting prices on and where deliveries are actually down so People have heard me for a long time, and I I, I don't want to tee up the Tess Lemmings on Twitter, but they're there, um, and they should be feeling, you know, they should be feeling good. But the reality is, this stock doesn't trade on fundamentals, uh, and I think it it won't trade on fundamentals.
3: It's a lightning rod of a stock still. Guys, thank you very much. Well, coming up on the show, clear for takeoff. Five U.S. airlines landing a deal with Uncle Sam for some much-needed aid. We will bring you those full details coming up ahead. But first, they'll be back. That's the message from Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg as more advertisers pull out of advertising on the platform. We're going to break down the impact when Fast Money returns after this.
2: Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create like Olu Sheyi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their
0: favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets?
3: Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a news alert on Facebook. Let's get straight out to Julia Borston with the details. Julia.
8: Hi, Tom. Well, Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg have just scheduled a meeting with the organizers of the boycott they're planning to meet on Tuesday. This after Facebook has been working all week to impress upon brands the steps they've already taken to crack down on hate speech. Now, the organizers of the Stop Hate for Profit boycott say that more than 500 companies, including Target, Starbucks and Unilever, have committed to pausing some social media advertising. Now, while Mark Zuckerberg said he takes these matters seriously and they don't benefit from hate speech, he told his employees that it's his guess that these advertisers will be back on the platform soon enough and that, quote, we're not going to change our policies or approach on anything because of a threat to a small percent of our revenue or to any percent of our revenue. Now, Facebook does have a track record, though, of responding to advertiser pressure. It responded to Procter & Gamble's demands to remove violent and offensive content in 2017 and in 2018 to Target's demands that it remove the sale of illegal drugs and to broad demand for independent verification of ad views. Now, as for social stocks overall during the past five days of the boycott, Pinterest, seeing the biggest benefit, up almost 7 percent. Snap, with the largest decline, down 5 percent, but still up 42 percent for the year. And Facebook uh, and Twitter, each down about 1 percent. As Zuckerberg works on drawing advertisers back to the table, he is preparing to be in the hot seat in Washington again. House Judiciary Chairman Jerry Nadler confirming that Zuckerberg, along with Tim Cook from Apple, Sundar Pichai from Google and Jeff Bezos from Amazon, will appear in an antitrust hearing coming up in late July. Dom, back over to you.
3: All right. Thank you very much for keeping on top of that whole social media atmosphere for us. Julia, thank you again. Let's trade it, folks. And BK, I'll start with you on this one here. Does anything that Julia just said make you think differently about Facebook?
7: Um, no, I don't think it does. I mean, listen, they've got a bigger, probably at this point in time, a bigger PR problem than an earnings problem because the boycott has only hit so much of, uh, was it only, I think, 5 or 10% of their ad revenue. So they are probably not that inclined to change things. What will change things, though, and Zuckerberg's no different than any other CEO, that if their revenue is going to decline by 25, 30%, uh, if Procter and Gamble comes out and says, hey, we're not going to be advertising it there anymore until there are changes, that will change his tune for sure. And then at that point, if the stock sells off, I actually think that's, that's the time you buy it, because that's the washout, that's the climax of this whole thing. Things are going to change, and the stock goes higher from that.
3: Karen, I'd like to turn to you for this one here. Is social media still an attractive place to invest? If not, Facebook, is there somebody else? What's the good trade there?
4: Uh, I actually think it's Facebook. I also own Google, which is my biggest position. But at Facebook, I think, you know what, they've survived these kinds of things before. Cambridge Analytica, um, you know, they have antitrust heat before uh, um, what's coming up later in July. But I think this meeting will be really important. I think that they'll say the right things. I think Zuckerberg and, and uh, Sheryl Sandberg will say the right things. The last time they were sort of in hot water, when Zuckerberg went to the hill, I think that was the bottom for the stock. And so it wouldn't shock me if this next meeting um, might put in some sort of a floor for the stock. I, I, I think this will blow over. It's just too good of a product for people to walk away permanently.
3: All right. It seems to kind of be permeating throughout the investor world these days, that thesis that Facebook is a juggernaut here. So let's talk to our next guest here who says this advertising boycott could last through the presidential election. That's a long way away. Let's bring in Laura Martin, senior media and internet analyst over at Needham. Welcome to the show, Laura. I mean, you heard Julia's report, you heard some of our traders take on this. Is Facebook still the stock that you wanna own in this environment, given the uncertainty in the next several months?
9: Um, So there's a couple insights I'd add. Everything that Facebook sells is sold at auction, which means it's based on supply and demand. As you know, a lot of people, consumers, are using Facebook and Instagram because they're locked at home. So their supply of ad units is through the roof. You have 4 4 million, according to Moody's, 4 million small businesses got aid from the government out of 30 million, and Moody's is now calling for 1 million small businesses never to return. And let's recall that if you're planning on those making up for brands, and now you have brands boycotting, so the notion that small businesses is going bankrupt and brands boycotting on the demand side doesn't make for a healthy auction or revenue stream at facebook
3: so 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 laura in this case here that the point has been made by some folks out there investors and and, and other analysts that It's not some of these big name, uh, multi-billion dollar brands that are the biggest kind of driver of Facebook and advertising on Instagram. It's some of the smaller businesses that get you to transact on it. So how important are these boycotts in framing the overall aura of the advertising platform to those really big paying small biz customers?
9: The problem is a lot of those small businesses will not survive. You do not, but you do know for sure that the, the large brands that are now boycotting facebook will survive and one of the things i think we're in a non-consensus view is that some of this is politically motivated when people talk about labeling or taking hate speech down they're really talking about donald trump's posts so some of these advertisers actually have political motivations for boycotting and other ones really the, the competitive advantage of facebook is its mobile advertising it sort of has a monopoly for mobile ads guess what no one's leaving their house so right now I think some of these advertisers, what we're hearing is they were going to pull back on their Facebook advertising anyway, and now they can get social statement cred to their added to their brand over this issue. But they were going to, it's not going to have any impact more so or not much more. They were just going to downdraft the mobile ad units anyway, because everyone's at home.
1: Hey, hey, Laura, it's Tim Seymour. Thanks for joining us. And it's an interesting conversation. So whether one thinks uh, the top line or the advertising revenue falls off appreciably. What's the what do you do to the multiple here? It, it seems to me ultimately, uh, as with most stocks, it's a function of what multiple you want to pay for them. And, and Facebook's underperformed the, the the triple Qs or the Nasdaq since Cambridge Analytica, despite the fact it's been at record highs. Um, can you talk about how you assess a multiple of earnings in the context of not just uh, public unrest, uh, but also DOJ and and possibly other regulatory pressure?
9: So I think there's a really easy way to quantify downside risk here, and that is that there's an entire industry that values consumer facing brands and sort of five of them value the Facebook consumer facing brand at 90 to 100 billion. And it's been going down every year since Cambridge Analytica. Brands are about brand trust with consumers, but also with advertisers. So this is now telling you this hate speech boycott is basically another you know, nail in the coffin of undermining brand trust. So if you want to use that industry's you know, value of brand equity, destroying us 15% of Facebook's total value that is being destroyed, and it's really harder, it's really expensive to build back brand value. And brand value adds value, but it gives you pricing power, it lowers your customer acquisition costs. So I actually think the downside here is significant because it's affecting their brand negatively. The brand trust issue is a problem for Facebook today mm-hmm. with both consumers and advertisers.
3: All right. Laura Martin over at Needham. Always great to get your thoughts. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon and happy Fourth of July. You too. All right. Steve Grasso, we're going to turn to you here. Trade it. Bottom line it for us. Facebook, do you buy it or sell it?
5: I would be a buyer of Facebook. It's up 13 percent. It's grinded through a lot of headwinds in the past. It continues to grind through this headwind. I, I, I believe with the guests that this is 90% politically driven. It's about squashing Donald Trump's voice versus um, hate speech. I mean, there could be threads of that as well. But the truth is, I think Zuckerberg played this perfectly. He shouldn't be the arbiter of truth, Dom. You have to play it neutral. This is the best I've seen him play this type of event. And I do think that with 2.3 billion users and 7 million advertisers, at a certain point, they're going to have to come back to where the eyeballs are. And I think that this will run
3: its course and work through it. Facebook is still a buy. All right. Big battle there. Controversy for sure. Thanks, guys, very much for that. Coming up on the show, after hitting some turbulence this year, we are just about to see the airlines signal the takeoff, maybe, for those trades and more. Those, those are coming up. Stick right here. And later on, we're talking red, white, and buys as we go all out for the 4th of July with a special Independence Day edition of Trade It or Fade It. You can't miss this. Much more fast money after this quick break. Welcome back to Fast Money 5 U.S. Airlines landing a very big deal for aid with Uncle Sam today. Let's get to Phil Abo with all those details. Good afternoon, Phil. Hey, Dom, this is the second half of the $50 billion
10: that was set aside for the airlines. Remember, $25 billion was to preserve the payrolls at least through September 30th. The other $25 was available if airlines Wanted to borrow from the Treasury Department. And five have said, yes, we do want to borrow. And they have come to terms with the Treasury Department. We don't know the exact terms. We'll find that out this weekend. American, Hawaiian, Spirit, Frontier, and SkyWest. By the way, there are other airlines that have said, look, we may need to borrow from the federal government. So you could see some more federal loans. Uh, in some fashion, though, the end of the deadline, um, as, as this has all worked its way out, people are saying, we think most of the airlines have enough money uh, to make it through Uh, into the fall and into the beginning of next year. A couple of things we want to look at. First of all, American Airlines borrowing $4.75 billion from the Treasury Department. Americans' liquidity right now, around $15 billion. And then you've got the airline index, and we're looking at this year to date. And the reason we're showing this to you, guess how much capital has been raised just this year, most of it through debt. $46 $46 billion, approximately, for the industry. Finally, as you take a look at shares of Delta, Southwest, and United, keep in mind that we are hearing from airline executives they are starting to see demand flatten out as COVID-19 spreads in the South and the Southwest. And as a result, you are seeing people who may have booked trips, Dom, who have said, you know what, I'm going to pull back on that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wave going on that. I'll hold that ticket.
3: Maybe I'll go... Three months, six months down the road. One of the most directly impacted industries out there, Phil Thank you very much for that update on what's happening with the airlines and Treasury. Our next guest says today's $25 billion deal that Phil just briefed us on does not mean the airlines are cleared for takeoff and the runway to recovery could be longer than many investors realize. Let's speak now with J.P. Morgan, senior airline analyst, Jamie Bakery, joins us now. Jamie, it seems so very clear right now that it's going to be a tough road ahead for these airlines. But how tough will it be?
2: Well, look, this is one of the reasons that about three weeks ago we suggested that our clients uh, take some profits, take some money off the table. We were concerned that demand trends uh, were not particularly robust. We were concerned that the TSA throughput would begin Uh, to moderate. We felt that the stocks had just pulled a little bit too far ahead of themselves. Uh, We've been pleased with how the last three weeks have have played out. But what has changed during that period, and Phil touched on this before, is the airlines continue to prove that capital markets are open. In just the last two and a half weeks, you know, there's been $15 billion raised, uh, about half of that just at United. And what that does is extend the runway it, it, it hopefully bridges the gap between where we are today in terms of demand trends and where we hope to be one year and two years from now. But it, on the demand front, we are not seeing any data that JP Morgan considers to be all that, um, you know, robust.
3: We're, we're pretty unimpressed. All right. So, so, so Jamie, hold on a second. I want to bring Brian Kelly into the conversation here as well. BK, what, what are you what are you thinking right now?
7: So, Jamie, my question is, um, you know, what kind of permanent demand damage has there been done, in particular to the international? And then, you know, what do the airlines are exposed to that? Because if I look at you know, my schedule, I was scheduled to be in Asia this spring. I canceled that. I don't see myself probably going back to Asia for quite a bit of time. So is that a permanent change? And how does that impact your view on some of the bigger airlines?
2: You know, it does impact how we model. Uh, you know, we think that domestic trends will lead the recovery. We can envision very plausibly that the domestic environment gets back to 2019's level sometime in 2022. Uh, I think you you hit the nail on the head. I think international, uh, you know, there are lots of regulatory impediments. You and I were both supposed to be on the road this week, Uh, you know, it sounds. We think that international can take till 2024 to recover back to 2019 level. So in aggregate, our view is that The U.S. industry, you know, from a profit output perspective, won't be able to rival 2019's level until sometime around 2023. But we do expect the all domestic names, names like Southwest, names like Alaska, to lead the way, to get there first.
4: Jamie, it's Karen. Let me ask you something if we sort of look out to maybe 2022 where the airlines are some sense of normalcy or approaching 2019, it looks to me like the enterprise values are still, they're very expensive relative to where they were given all the debt and all the cash that they're going to burn through. What do you think of valuations for looking out to a more normal um, economy for the the airlines?
2: We are definitely taking into account uh, the degree to which balance sheets are being strained uh, by, you know, this this crisis. It's it's one reason that currently I have fewer buy ratings in my universe than at any prior point in, in my career. Uh, you know, the industry had successfully restructured itself in aggregate to withstand another 2009. That's why these entities were, were buying back stock, aggressively paying dividends, because they... They could withstand another great recession and and probably continue to generate cash and net profits. My concern going forward is that COVID will now be applied as the new stress test, which will require these airlines to run with just ridiculously high volumes of, of unproductive cash. And that's going to have a real impact on, on how we pick stocks. I mean, no no doubt about it. And then of course there's the whole issue of technological substitutes to air travel. I mean, there are are a lot of things to be grappling with
3: here. The models only get more complicated given COVID-19. Jamie Baker, J.P. Morgan, thank you very much and have a great holiday weekend, sir. All right, guys, let's trade this. Tim Seymour, I'll go to you here. Is there a stock in particular within airlines that stands out to you as the winner given all of this negativity?
1: Well, I mean, Jamie is is so good at what he does, and he's seen so many cycles, and and I think that's one thing we all need to remember. Look, I've largely been bullish on airlines going into this, so uh, I'm... I'm I'm certainly doing some mark-to-market on a few, but um, Delta uh, is the best balance sheet, and, and when you think about the money, Jamie talked about the capital markets, 37 billion was raised in debt and equity, and then extensions on grants, you bring it up to another, like basically a total of 60 billion, um, not counting what the Treasury's bringing. Uh, insolvency risk has been taken off the table for 2020, but here we are all talking about uh, you know, what, what really will be profitability or normalized earnings, and I don't think it, you should be pricing these companies uh, at normalized earnings growth right here now with that uncertainty. But um, riding through with Delta, I uh, think Southwest is the other balance sheet that you can feel most confident in. But these are trading stocks right now. All right, for sure.
3: All right, thanks very much, guys. Coming up on the show, options traders are eyeing one cybersecurity stock for a pop. We will reveal that name in the mystery chart that you're seeing right now coming up. Plus, our traders are gearing up for the long weekend with a special edition of Trade It or Fade It. We'll tell you which of these all-American stocks will leave you with a star-spangled portfolio. More Fast Money coming up after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out cybersecurity stock Akamai surging higher today on an upgrade from Cowan. The stock is now up more than 30% this year and heading back towards its highest levels since the early 2000s tech bubble. Options traders are betting the breakout is just in the beginning stages. Mike Coe has the options action. Mike. Hi, Dom. Yeah. So,
5: Akamai saw about five times the average daily call volume today. Some of that activity was concentrated in the August one fifteen calls. Buyers were paying about five and a half dollars for those, making bullish bets that the rally could continue. Through earnings, which are on July 30th. We also saw a lot of activity in the January 2022 115 calls. They were actually selling those, but buying the stock, betting that the
3: volatility is also going to come in. So looking for lower volatility, but continued strength through earnings. All right, that Akamai trade certainly playing out big here. We're also watching shares of Fastly as well. They kind of do similar type things in certain markets. Thanks very much, Mike Coe. We are off tomorrow for Independence Day, but for more options action, be sure to tune in to the next full show next Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on CNBC. Well, coming up, don't let Miley have all the fun. It's time for your portfolio to party in the USA. Heading into the 4th of July weekend our traders are laying out the names that have really made them feeling like they're in the red white and blue phase right now. More Fast Money is coming up with those stocks right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money as we gear up for Independence Day. We thought this would be the perfect time to play one of America's favorite games.
4: Trade it
3: or fade it. Right. <laughs> That's right. Trade it or fade it. But this time with a bit of a patriotic twist, we've dug down and picked out some of the stocks that derive just about all of their revenues right here in the good old USA. So let's kick it off. Wells Fargo, a big bank, and go to our own Lady Liberty, Karen Feinerman. Trade it <laughs> or fade it. <laughs>
4: Yeah, I'm going to trade it, which means buy it, which I have recently for the first time in about, a, uh, I don't know, 10 years. What is more American than a than an iconic name that's had a fall from grace and is now seeking redemption? We love that story. But this is trading like it is, you know, the franchise, below franchise value, significantly below, you know, 0. 0.65 in there percent of book value. So if this were a car, it would be trading for scrap prices. So I think this is a valuable huh. franchise. I think Charlie Scharf will turn it around. The stock's gotten killed, which it should have, I understand. But I actually think them cutting the dividend is a very good thing. It was a positive. It really wasn't a big surprise. The idea that it traded off on that's kind of stupid. So I use it as an opportunity to buy more. I like it. Wells Fargo for the July 4th weekend and far beyond that.
3: All right, Brian Kelly, do you agree or are you trading it or fading it? You know, generally speaking, I don't like to be on
7: the other side of Karen's trades. Uh, But on this particular case, I am going to fade it. So I I would say you sell this here. I think it probably goes lower. Part of my, yeah, exactly. Put the graphic up. Part of my logic here on this is that this, to me, is much more in, you've got two problems. You've got a yield curve, which I think the way the bond market traded today, the yield curve is going to go through a period of flattening. And then secondarily, yes, it's trading below book value, but what I'm concerned about is what's on their books, right? So what's the credit quality of what they have? Could that deteriorate if we continue with this COVID shutdown? So for those two reasons, I'm a fader, not a trader.
4: All
3: right, next up, he's a Yankee doodle sweetheart, but what does he think about Target? Steve Grasso, target stock, trade it or fade it?
5: Uh, This is a trader for me. I would trade this stock. This has been a bright, shining spot within the retail community, it's up 6%. Just think about this, Dom, how many vacations are people not taking? What do they do? They wanna feel good about themselves. They go into Target, shelter in place, they stocked up on everything that Target had. It was essential, it was open, it had quality goods. So I would still be in the name, I'd be in the name, in, in this is the only spot I wanna be in in retail with a handful of others, like Ross Stars, TJ Maxx, but definitely trade it Target.
1: See, I'm going to be passing Steve in the beer aisle, grabbing a, a, a suitcase of Budweiser uh, to cook by the grill or sit by the grill. But, but the bottom line for me with Target is um, all those sales that they pulled forward during COVID-19, I, I think were largely either commodity staples uh, and low price items, low margin items. Um, the stock's effectively at two-year highs. Uh, And again, in an environment where I I don't know that their core consumer is going to be in in the same position once we get through stimulus. Uh, And again, the organic sales growth that we saw in the last quarter is not coming back. Fade it.
3: All right, fade fade it it there. There there you go. Now over to our own star-spangled stud, Brian Kelly, BK. Nothing says America (laughs) like unlimited breadsticks. So let's trade it or fade it when it comes to Darden restaurants and the Olive Garden.
7: Well, that's fantastic, Tom. Uh, you know, while America has had a propensity for an awful lot of breadsticks, I actually am gonna be a fader of this one. I've made a mistake over the last couple weeks or months to 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 think that people wouldn't go back to their go back to restaurants so quickly. They did. But as COVID spreads across the country, I think people are gonna be a bit reticent to go back. I think you
3: fade this one. All right, indoor dining, certainly a focus here. And last but not least. He's a firecracker, all right. Tim Trader Fade, CVS Health.
1: Yeah, look, yeah, CVS. I'm absolutely trading this one, Dom. And I, I think if you if you look at the AK they filed just recently. First of all, they've reaffirmed guide uh, at around seven ten a share. Um, What they've lost in their PBM and their scripts market, they've actually gained in some of their uh, front of the store retail, and actually sales have been better there. Uh, I think their Aetna business is a lot more insulated and non-correlated. Again, that's their commercial insurance business. So, I, you know, I'm going to trade this one, Dom. I, I, you know, that's what I'm doing on July 4th.
3: All right. There we go. There's your star spangled lineup of trade it or fade it. Thank you very much, guys. And coming up on the show, the CEO of Appeal, which made its CNBC Disruptor 50 list last year, will be on with our very own Jim Kramer on Mad Money. That's at the top of the hour. But stick around. You've got final trades coming up next. Welcome back. Time for the final trades. Let's go around the horn. Brian Kelly, to you first.
7: Ah, uh, well, for me, gold had a stunning reversal today after the
1: jobs number came out. I think you can play it via Newmont Mining (NEM). All right, Tim. So tap maybe a falling uh, tall boy again. The beer company Molson Coles, but I think you buy here. You certainly drink one this weekend. Happy Fourth. All right, Karen Feinerman.
4: Yes. Well, Dom, thanks for being with us for the last two days. Fun to have you. My final trade, Wells Fargo, good enough for faded or traded, good enough for final trade.
3: Steve Grasso, one word. Costco,
5: always my 4th of July trade, Costco. Happy birthday, America.
2: (laughs) The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to
4: drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.